This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a driving home from Barclays Center edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. I'm not in the greatest moods because the Brooklyn Nets ruined Iron Eagle night. They ruined it by losing to the Portland Trailblazers in a game in which Ennis Cantor and Nurkic completely assaulted them on the glass. That's how I would define this game. I would define this game as a game that reminded you a lot of what they were before the incredible hot streak that they had. Not during the eight-game losing streak by any stretch. They didn't blow a big lead tonight. But prior to the eight-game losing streak, this is what this game felt like. And there's a lot of things I'll whine and complain about. Overall, I'm whining and complaining that they lost, and the Brooklyn Nets are a 500 basketball team. And we'll see if they can go back above 500 when they go to Charlotte on Saturday in a game that's a, that's a freaking big game. I mean, anytime they play Charlotte and Miami, and they have a bunch of games against specifically Charlotte over the next week and a half, and they do go to Miami, a game I'll be at, these are damn important games. I'm sick and tired of assuming the Brooklyn Nets are a playoff team. There is no reason we should sit here today and assume they're a playoff team. You want to tell me the bottom of the Eastern Conference is garbage? I'm not saying you're wrong, but the Nets are going to have to win some games. And the truth is... Since Spencer Dinwiddie, that's the line of demarcation. Since Spencer Dinwiddie went down with his thumb injury, they haven't been the same freaking team. Now, the win against Cleveland was a sigh of relief win. That's what it was. They needed to win that game. I mean, could you imagine if they went into the All-Star break, a game under 500? Could you imagine if they lost to the Cavs that night when Tristan Thompson wasn't out there, when Kevin Love wasn't out there, not that soon far after they lost a game in their own building to the Chicago Bulls? You know, it was crazy. It was dramatic. You know, Damari Carroll hits the three. D'Angelo Russell played like a star in the third overtime. They needed to win that freaking game. And look, this is different. I understand that. The Trailblazers are a hell of a team. And usually when you play Portland, the key is can you slow down Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum? And tonight the Nets did. I mean, defensively, I thought they did a pretty good job staying in front of the guards, not letting them kill them. McCollum did a little bit late, but Damian Lillard outside of kind of one sequence, I think it was early fourth quarter, or maybe it was late third quarter, they, for the most part, held him in check. What killed them tonight, and I I think this is the part of why I'm bothered, I'm frustrated, and there ain't a damn thing they can do about it, is they got killed by length. And we all know, I mean, you watch this team all the time, you know when you face a team with bigs, when you face a team with length, the Nets cannot match up. In the last few minutes of this game, we saw Kenny Atkinson go to the desperate measure of playing Alan Crabb at the four. We saw him get desperate where he finally went to Jarrett Dudley. This was the first game I think he was available to play in. We didn't see him till the fourth quarter when they were down by, what, 14? Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is a mess 
I mean, when he tried to go coast to coast, I think it was in the early part of the second quarter. I mean, I just wanted to walk out. I am I'm getting to the point where I'm sick of looking at Rondé Hollis Jefferson. This team needed to add a stretch four. And I know the rational side of me would say, come on, they're not winning an NBA championship. You didn't want to trade future assets. You didn't want to eat into the cap space that they have going into the year. And all that's fair. But I guess it's just frustrating that Marks couldn't walk away with anything. I mean, I'm not sitting there expecting that they were going to trade for Tobias Harris or even expecting that they were going to make that trade for Miritich. But my God, you need something. I mean, Travion Graham does a lot of positive things. Tonight, Travion, stop shooting. Yo, we get the freaking point. I think the last of his many threes, he didn't score a point tonight. I mean, if he did, I'm stunned. Obviously, I'm driving home right now. I don't have any stats in front of me. There's no way this guy scored a point tonight. I think his last attempt at a three hit absolutely nothing. And I think at that point is when Kenny Atkinson said, okay, even I've seen enough. I love Travion, but even I've seen enough. Let's see if someone's going to let me in, all right? I'm using my signal. I'm trying to be respectful. I, I was too late going into the right lane. I got to make that right on Tillery Street to head on to the BQE. Oh, you know what? I mistimed exactly where I am. I didn't even need to get into the right lane. <laughs> I was the guy, I was the dick that was pushing as hard as I can to get into the right lane. Meanwhile, I got like five more blocks before Tillery Street. So you know where I am right now. I'm sitting at a red light, and I think I passed Livingston. Whenever I passed Livingston, I would always think of Sean Livingston, the former net, the current warrior. Anyhow, what, what part of the bitching session was I at? Was it the length part? Was it the inability to get a stretch four? Was it Travion Graham sucking uh, to the point where Kenny finally said, let me go to a completely unfresh Jared Dudley? This was frustrating. It was frustrating because Ennis Cantor, and I understood why the Knicks didn't play him. I think I mentioned it in one of the podcasts after a Nick Net game that clearly the Knicks have no use for Ennis Cantor. He wasn't a part of the future. Uh, we all know about his struggles on defense, defending the pick and roll. But he crushes the freaking Nets. And, of course, he signs with a team that they have to play twice. Which means if you didn't get enough of Ennis Cantor doing whatever the hell he wanted, I mean, owning Jared Allen with a back to his basket, crushing them on the offensive glass, he even took a top of the key three. As it went up, I actually thought it was going to go down. He didn't make that. But he beat the daylights out of them on the offensive glass when they actually got Nurkic in a foul trouble and got him out of the game. I mean, Cantor and Nurkic tonight, they are the reasons the Portland Trailblazers won this game. They're the reason. The Nets gave the Trailblazers so many second chance opportunities, way too many. There were like five of them that jump out into my head. And that was the killer. So... The Nets lost a game against maybe the best card combination we have in this uh, in this sport of C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. It may not be the best, but it's certainly top two, top three, whatever you want to say. And they did a good job stopping them. It wasn't them. It was the Nurkic-Cantor combination that crushed them. And unless there's a, a guy in a buyout they could break in, I know Frank Kaminsky is a guy who's been bantied about. This is going to be a problem against any team they face with length. Now, what I try to calm myself down about is that the Trailblazers are a damn good team. 
Now, the Nets did not lose a game like the game they had against Chicago. They didn't lose to a bad team that you're quote-unquote supposed to beat. Certainly in your own building, you are facing a team that I think Portland's under 500 on the road, but still, they lost to a good team. But it is starting to frighten me that the closer they get to that monstrous road trip, that just murderous seven-game road trip, that they need to create a bigger cushion than what they have right now because the truth is they don't have much of a cushion. Now, you can't just sit there expecting Charlotte and Miami and Detroit to just lose every single night. This is not realistic. And so hopefully this team will be able to bounce back Saturday. One little good quirk they have in their schedule, their next two games are at Charlotte Saturday night. They have the Spurs Monday night in Brooklyn. The Spurs and the Hornets are both coming off of back-to-backs. The Spurs are playing the night before at Madison Square Garden. So it's not a travel back-to-back, but who knows? Maybe Popovich lets the boys out and they have a crazy night in New York City. Either way, it is essential for this team to take advantage of this part of the schedule. And you know what drives me nuts? What's that website, 538, 437, the Nate Silver website, where they give you the percentages of things happening? And ever since the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, and then soon after that, Donald Trump was elected president, I think of the percentages they had for those events. Cubs are down 3-1. They've got a 6% chance of winning the World Series. They won the freaking World Series. Donald Trump, uh, 12% chance of winning the election. I think it was less than that. 4% chance of winning the election. He wins the Electoral College. He's the president. I'm so sick of seeing their percentages because it means nothing. I don't care that the Nets are 82% to make the playoffs. They've played like crap now for two and a half weeks. And while they're starting to get healthy, and I'm going to get to Levert in a second, I'm telling you, the Dinwiddie thing is the line of demarcation. They miss Spencer Dinwiddie. And I know that with the way Shabazz has played, and certainly the way Russell's played, obviously with the all-star performance, and having Levert back, I know it may seem weird to think that even Alan Crabb has come back and has hit nearly 50% of his threes since he's returned. But you think it's a coincidence? I think they miss his intangibles in a weird way, and they obviously miss something that they don't have. And that's the size. And that's the legit stretch four. They don't have it. They are playing guys out of position. Travion Graham is not that. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is not that. Alan Crabb is not that. Let me get to Levert. Soon after that, I'll get to Rhodey and the fact that Kenny Atkinson has clearly buried him. Um, The positive with Levert, even though the numbers don't jump out at you, I got two on Karras, besides the fact he's playing, which is a positive in its own right. Number one, the impact he's having defensively. He is so active defensively. He is so consequential defensively. He has helped force turnovers. He has been a factor defensively in a big way, and I think that's something that many times the box scores are not going to indicate. Sometimes they do when he gets five steals, but a lot of times it's not the case. Two, he's getting to the basket, and I think that finishing at the rim is going to come, and he's one of the guys that you just have to be patient with. He's coming off, obviously, this big injury, injury that we feared we wouldn't see him again this season. Uh, We saw Kenny put him back in the starting lineup. His minutes continue to be... Uh, conservative, to say the least. But I think as time goes by, Karras is only going to get better and better. That's going to help this team more and more. Next, Rodion's Karuz. 
when I mention at the top of this driving home podcast, by the way, I'm on the BQE now. Uh, my GPS says there's about to be traffic. You want to know why? For anybody that knows the BQE, you know where I'm going. Because of that Kashiashko. No matter what time of day you get to the Kashiashko Bridge. Is that even how you pronounce Kashiashko? Kashiushko, whatever it is. No matter what time of day you get there, there's traffic. And, and I can't figure it out. Because what, what are we all slowing down because the, the bridge is so pretty? I mean, what are we doing? I never fully understood why, no matter the time of day, there's a slowdown on the Kashiashko. But as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, this felt like the pre-eight-game losing streak Nets. The Net team that was playing reasonably well, they're playing reasonably well. We were optimistic about, not as optimistic as we turned into, and right before the eight-game losing streak, before Karis LeVert got hurt, you know, they had the, the horrible loss in New Orleans, the great win in Denver. And a part of why it felt that way is because I didn't see Rodion's Karutz. Now, maybe Kenny in the postgame is going to reveal that he's still hurt, which would make no sense considering he played in the rookie sophomore U.S. versus World Challenge. I'm afraid he's burying him again. And that's a big mistake. Rodion's a rookie. We get it. He makes plenty of rookie mistakes. He brings an energy to this team. He needs to be out there. And hopefully Kenny's going to learn that lesson going into the Saturday night game against Charlotte. They have a lot of bodies now, and that's great. They're healthy now. That's fantastic. They need Karutz out there playing minutes. You don't want to start him fine. He didn't get a whiff tonight. And I'm not saying I'm hoping he's hurt. But at least there would be a reason then why we didn't see him. So that pissed me off. Next thing, Iron Eagle Night. It was very, very cool. The tribute video they played here at Barclays Center was nice. Uh, What I would complain about is that it came out of nowhere. I didn't even know they were about to do it. My dad went out to go to the bathroom. He missed the tribute video, but they got a lot of guys back. Brooke Lopez said some kind words. They got Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, which isn't a surprise, Vince Carter. No Kenyon Martin, a little bit of a disappointment, but it was very, very cool. I mean, Ian's one of the best in the business. I don't think that we as Net fans are being homers and saying that. I think everybody realizes how good he is, especially when you watch him do other things, whether it's college basketball, whether it's the NFL on CBS. I got to see the at least one of the tributes they did on TV that was tweeted out that was really cool. They had a lot of announcers on it. Mike Breen gave him a tribute. Adam Silver gave him a tribute. Look, Ian's fantastic. It would have been nice if they had an Iron Eagle bobblehead to go along with the Black Panther bobblehead, but Ian deserves all the accolades because, and I'm not just saying it because he comes on our show and he's funny. He is such a damn good broadcaster. You you can't, as a Net fan, not get giddy sometimes when you hear, that's a man's jam, or anything he does with Jared Allen or, or whatever. And I saw a few people tweet this, and this is certainly my story too. I grew up on Iron Eagle and Bill Raftery, you know, during the, I, I wouldn't say grew up on, but they were certainly a part of the childhood and in getting into the New Jersey Nets at the time. Keith Van Gogh with the touch. Iron and Raftery, such an awesome combo when they did the Nets. So very cool that Iron got the tribute. I wish the Nets were able to give him a freaking victory. That would have been nice. And 
I think a lot of it has to do with the Black Panther giveaway. I want to be honest. Um, the Nets are playing you know, reasonably well. Lately, they haven't played well. But overall, look, they're in a playoff position. They're in a playoff race. They've certainly created a little bit of buzz around town. A big part of why this arena was packed tonight was because they gave away a cool bobblehead. Maybe it's not a bobblehead I care that much about because I'm not a big fan of superheroes, though I did see Black Panther, and it's not bad. I saw Aquaman, too. That wasn't bad either. But overall, I'm not a big superhero guy, but the crowd was packed, and when the Nets made their run, because remember, they fell down behind by 15. Damare Carroll hit that very long two off the top. You thought maybe he tied it with a long with a three. It turned out to be a long two, pulled him within one, and that was basically the, the highlight of the game. After that, Portland responded, I think, with a 4-0 run. It was a couple of timeouts mixed in, and that was it. They never got closer again. But the crowd was jazzed. And I think as Net fans, we look for that sometimes. We look for that excitement because one of the problems back in New Jersey and, and certainly early on in Brooklyn is that the place doesn't get as loud necessarily as some of the other arenas around the league. I thought there was a great flow tonight. There was a great juice tonight. It just it stinks that they couldn't seal the deal. But what's going to be essential right now, because the stretch four is not walking through that door, is that they take advantage and win the games they're supposed to win. This was a terrible matchup tonight. Go beat the Charlotte Hornets on Saturday. Protect home court with the Spurs on Monday. They've got the Wizards on Wednesday. And then how about this back-to-back? And I'll be at the back end of it a week from Friday in Brooklyn against the Hornets again. And then Saturday in Miami against the Heat. And keep this in mind with the Charlotte games and with the Miami games. Tiebreakers matter. They've split the first two games, if memory serves correct, with both of those teams. Tiebreakers matter. So not only is it big from a, a standing standpoint to give yourself a bigger cushion for a postseason spot, but hey, you know, you want that cushion. You want that extra lead if you're in a tiebreak situation. So I'm a little disappointed. But hey, they're 500 and it could have been worse. <laughs> when they were 8 and 18, I certainly didn't envision that. And that's all I've got to say. Thank you very much for listening to this driving home, but I'm doing it very safely edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.